1: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number Store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
1: I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah and you're listening to
3: the Tennis Podcast.
4: Well, loads to talk about today, because Madrid is well and truly underway. Of course it is. In fact, it's about three days underway on the women's side. The men's just about rolled into town, uh, and they're they're about to start playing. In fact, they had a few matches today. Matt Roberts is here alongside me, David Law, virtually. Catherine Whitaker is in Madrid. We'll be hearing from her in a little while. Uh, we've obviously got the, the very sad news uh, about Boris Becker's downfall, I suppose you could say. He's been jailed for two and a half years of which half of that's going to be spent in jail um because of his his failure to keep to all the rules of his bankruptcy and um that's a, a pretty disturbing tale which we'll uh, we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast um but matt how you doing you all right
3: very well thank you david back from my golf trip and ready to oh, yeah. tune back into tennis
4: How did it go? Did you fare better than when you played against me, albeit you did win?
3: I think I did play better, yes, and it was very enjoyable. Uh, I don't know whether this is a blasphemous thing to say on a tennis podcast, but I think golf might be my favourite sport to play.
4: Uh what? You're cheating on tennis.
3: It's, it's purely personal. I think I'm better at being kind to myself with golf because I have far lower expectations. I've actually been playing, oh. I've actually been playing tennis quite a lot of my life and I feel like I should be better than I am. Uh, but with golf, I don't feel that at all. I've I've probably played, I don't know, fewer than 50 rounds of golf. So if I make mistakes, it, it doesn't bother me quite so much. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. And I did, and I did make mistakes. <laughs>
4: Okay. All right. Well, uh, if you are a recent listener to the Tennis Podcast, folks, uh, Matt has thrashed me at golf. He's also (laughs) thrashed me at tennis. Um, So I'm searching for a sport at which I can beat him at. um, And he has not yet taken my challenge of a pool match, um, because I'm quite good at pool. (laughs) So anyway, uh, let's talk about tennis and Madrid, which is uh, well and truly underway. Before Matt and I start getting tucked into it all let's hear from Catherine, katherine Whitaker, who is in madrid for amazon prime video presenting their coverage and she was courtside today i was watching uh, the coverage throughout the day an amazing spot that Catherine and annabelle croft have got and daniela Hantikova's over there as well literally on the court while the players are knocking up it's quite a sight so hello Catherine.
2: Hello team and listeners greetings from Madrid where it's been quite a day for me day 1 for me of um presenting from on site obviously the tournament's been going for for several days um it's really exceeded my expectations actually I've been to this tournament before um in a different role um but not for several years and and barring you know the odd match here and there mostly involving Rafael Nadal or um yeah, I suppose, I suppose pretty much Nadal or, you know, perhaps the odd really electrifying match. Um, I found the atmosphere quite often to be a bit flat here, but that's really not been the case um, so far in my experience. It's been um, really, really electric, the atmosphere. Um, OK, I've only been here at a weekend, so we'll see what it's like tomorrow, but it's felt Really vibrant and intense and it really feels like, you know, it's it's such a sporting city, Madrid, isn't it? It feels like, you know, the tennis fans are, are back in force post-pandemic restrictions. So that's been really enjoyable. Um The tennis has largely been good quality. I mean, a couple of big matches have disappointed. I mean, Andrescu Collins, I thought, would be ding-dong this morning and Andrescu just steamrolled her. Um so the match is disappointment, but it's brilliant to see Andrescu back. Um it's fascinating seeing the conditions up close. Um the the altitude really does reward aggression. Um so it can it can lead to some really brilliant swashbuckling tennis or it can lead to some really erratic tennis where it just sort of pings off the racket. Um, and the player looks like they've got no control. So it's a mixed bag, but um, I loved seeing Radikarni play um, like she did today. I mean, she was just full of joy and sparkle. Made me think of that Suzanne Longland quote about, about there must be some sparkle too. Um, and yeah, I don't know, you know, if she's going to win the thing, but it looks like US Open Emma Radikarni to me. and um, And that's an absolute joy. Um and yeah, I'm I'm quite excited about this tournament. Actually, I I'm keen to find out who the best of the rest is with without Igor Schwamtek here and I'm pumped for for Andy Murray against Dominic Team tomorrow night in very much soon to be out of date tennis News. Um and, you know, Alcaraz playing in front of home fans with with all the expectation and Maybe he'll play Nadal again like he did on his 18th birthday here last year and got walloped. Anyway, that's all either soon to be out of date or soon to just not happen. So um, I'll wrap this up and I'll go and eat my croquetas, which are very much one of my favourite things uh, about this country and this city. So um, thanks for holding the fort in my absence. And... um, I don't know why I'm volunteering this prediction, but I think Halep might win it. That's my, that's my early feeling. Feel free to edit that out. And, uh, yeah, I think probably should be a wrap from me. Bye.
4: Catherine with a big prediction, Matt, at the end. Simona Halep for the title. What do you think? Absolutely not editing that out. Holding,
3: holding <laughs> Catherine to it. Uh, yeah. I like it. I like the pick. And I'm I'm pretty sure that has come from watching Hallep against Paula Barossa in particular. That was that was an eye catching scoreline. It was an eye catching performance from Hallep beating Barossa mm. so easily. And I think both both Catherine and I commented while we were watching that on, on Hallep's intensity. Right from the start. Right. She just seemed really engaged in the match she broke Balassa straight away and then kept it up the entire match I've watched Halep in the past and she's one of my favorite players to watch she's an incredible player but sometimes she can let an opponent back into a match or she can she can wander she can let things bother her sometimes and that that's all part of what makes her so engaging to watch I think but she was just ruthless and really hitting the ball aggressively, hitting it flat. That's that's something that she says she's been working on with Patrick Moratoglu, uh, who's obviously there coaching her now. And I think when you when you hire Patrick Moratoglu as a coach. You know, you sort of get moritoglu fired. You sort of take on a whole sponsor. Suddenly, suddenly, her box. All these M's are appearing on people's hats, and <laughs> and it, 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 it's like you've, you you sort of it's like a brand that you sign up to, isn't it? But he is a good coach, I think. Uh, he, he, you know, mm. he must be given the players he's worked with and and the setup he's got there, and it sounds like that was a real focus of their of their few weeks practice together leading up to this to to be more aggressive to win matches more efficiently because her body's been breaking down on her recently in the last couple of years and if that performance was anything to go by that's a really positive start to that partnership because i thought she was awesome and she's got she's got yeah. and she's got pedigree in madrid as well i think four-time finalist two-time winner so, yeah, I can see why Catherine's gone with that pick.
4: Mm. I, I turned that match on and it was already a set and a break up for Halab. Mm-hmm. And I think moments later, Badossa started to have a bit of treatment just caught side by the physio. And I I said to you guys, is that injury the reason for that scoreline? Because that scoreline is not what I was expecting at all. You know, Badossa's in her home country. The crowd are going for her that are trying to latch onto any. Little opportunity to get behind her. She's been in great form. She always feels like the almost perfect clay court player, although I have to say Halep, I think, is also Mm. uh, worthy of that description. And, of course, she's won the French Open as well and all those clay court finals you mentioned in Madrid. But it was so one-sided, I couldn't really believe that a fully fit Badossa would be getting this sort of drubbing, to be honest. And um, to be fair to her, she just came out at the end of the match and she said, to, I can't blame my physical condition at all. She was perfect, basically, pointing over at Hallep. She was perfect. And that's uh, that's that's very interesting because I, I do tend to think of Hallep as a player who has a very, very high level, but that there's probably a ceiling to which she can dominate an opponent. There's the, I never think she's going to have the weight of shot to be able to truly knock somebody off the court, for instance. But, yeah, she got the job done handily.
3: Yeah, I would think probably the last time Hallett played a match which would jump out to me as perfect was probably the best match she ever played, which was that Wimbledon final against Serena Williams when Patrick Mouratoglou would have been... In the other corner, wouldn't he? He would have. He would mm. have witnessed that that performance. And I mean, Halep was perfect that day, wasn't it? it was very, obviously, very different conditions on grass. But I remember she barely made an unforced error in that match. And against Berdysheva, she was not making unforced errors. She was hitting winners. Yeah, it was a it was a great great performance. And I always say it, but I think tournaments are better when when Simona Halep's in them because she makes good matches. Mm. And I, I I hope we're going to see much more of her on the clay this season.
4: Does remain intriguing, doesn't it, in terms of what this means for Serena Williams? The fact that Moritoglu is no longer effectively coaching her. Um, And yeah, I want to know where that's going to end up. It hasn't taken Moritoglu long to get involved in uh, Twitter conversation and he's actually suggested to uh, his followers that they might want to come up with a name a team name for himself and simona hallop i don't quite know what uh, what he has in mind but i've got a good suggestion and that's simona Hallop. <laughs> might be a good team name um, so anyway um, who else have we seen today, Matt? Um, I, I quite enjoyed watching uh, Bianca Andrescu start the day. Catherine was referencing her. And, you know, talking about one sided score lines that you don't expect to come up, I did not expect 6 1 6 1 to be the scoreline that she would beat. Danielle Collins, who who looked off the pace, I think she's had she had some injury problems and she's not had so many results of late. But she, I mean, she just looked so uncomfortable out there. And Andrescu, by contrast, looked like the Andrescu of I, I mean, it sounds ridiculous saying about a twenty one year old the Andrescu of old, but you know she looked like three years ago. Andrescu. It was her first top
3: ten win since that U.S. Open final in twenty nineteen, and I mean, 2019 in many ways feels like a different world, doesn't it? But particularly when you think of Bianca Andreescu, and I think she said this was her best performance of her comeback so far. Obviously, started in Stuttgart uh, and now continued into Madrid. Yeah, she looked great. She looked really good. She looks fit and healthy, which is the most, you know, one of the most important things. And the game looks good. And I think it was, I think it was something like only her eighth tour level match on clay or something you know I mean I'm sure we're going to talk about Emma Raducanu in in great detail very soon and she's obviously playing and taking first steps on clay at the moment but Andrescu, okay, maybe not taking quite her first steps on the surface, but still kind of baby steps, you know, in, in terms of her career generally. And yet, she looks pretty at ease on this on this surface. She told Catherine on on the podcast a couple of weeks ago how much she loves clay and and how much it suits her game. And yeah, again, just someone we haven't seen playing tennis like this on this surface makes it makes it extremely exciting. I think, yeah, I was
4: I was impressed with her, particularly when you think of the blow that tennis took a few weeks ago with Ash Barty announcing her retirement and Yggis-Fiontek pulling out of this tournament to to save herself, really, for Rome and and Paris to come. I think good, sensible decisions. But to see the draw still so full of fascinating, interesting stars, really, uh, in Andreeska, because that's what she is and that's what some of the other players we've seen today make you feel like they are that that's the perfect example of of the strength of women's tennis but also the appeal of Andrescu that I'd almost forgotten about her because we it's gone so long without her being there but today was just a a reminder of what she's got
3: yeah, it was. I think she was on first, wasn't she? She was on at about 11 o'clock in the morning, mm. local time. and
4: She didn't make it look like that. You know, usually usually it's a pretty flat performance and somebody wins, you know, and, and then you, you forget all about it. But to, to, she just immediately looked like she'd been up for about five hours, you know, <laughs> as though she's a real early morning person. <laughs> she was just on it. Yeah, it, it was an incredible
3: injection of life into the order of play straight away um and yeah i mean talking about the draw more generally i think Ons Jabur is the only top 10 seed remaining you know we've lost we've lost so many big names over the last few days you know as as the sort of start of this tournament has crept up on us midweek um you know the, the defending champion sabalenka's gone the two home favorites mugruth and Padosa, has gone as you said igor shvaltenek's not here Sakary's out uh, we'll talk about that we'll talk about Asaka going out but you know, we've still got so many names, which are big names or have pedigree on clay or have pedigree in this tournament. You know, just just looking at them: Anisimova, Halet, Benecic, Raducanu, Rubikina, Andrescu, Pagula, Goff, Azarenka. I mean, these these are massive names still, and
4: they're all still there, it's great. and it's great. It, as you said, it's strength in depth. That's that's what it is. Mm. Let's let's have a chat about Raducanu because. I did see her match last week on clay, indoors, different type of conditions altogether in Stuttgart against Digish Vjantek. And I thought she played really well. And she lost 6-4, 6-4, but she broke her serve at one point. She was pushing her hard in a lot of the games. And, and I, I enjoyed watching clay court Emma Raducanu play in that match. But I did wonder how she would back it up. I wondered whether the decision to separate with Torben Belts which was announced following that match whether that would have any effect on her at all in, in a negative sense I mean it's very interesting listening to Catherine's assessment of her and and how that Martinsva victory impressed her so much and today she absolutely thrashed Marta Kostiuk, Um a, a couple of games she lost in the match and and from from ball one there was just confidence. There was just authority about the way she hits the ball. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about Naomi Osaka, but the difference in movement on the surface, the the kind of look of a player who's at ease and comfortable and decided she's going to slide and is enjoying the process of sliding into shots and into corners and out of them again. She looks like she's got time on the ball, Radicano. She doesn't look rushed at all. Really, there's Anish that so far that I've seen her on the surface able to rush her and i think she could rush anybody on the planet but she's such an interesting player to watch on all the surfaces i mean a really funny interview she gave um ahead of this one and and simon briggs reported on it in the telegraph uh, as about how 365 days ago she was she was doing what maths paper three or whatever in her in her exams you know and she was she was barely playing any tournament she was losing in british tour events and and stuff like that and and here she is getting talked about as though her results are underwhelming because she's not winning them all in big tour events that she's never even played before and look i understand that she's the us open champion it's it is the absurdity of that gets lost for an awful lot of people and i think that's kind of understandable that you know, eleven, ten, ten or eleven million people watched that final here in the UK, and they then follow that and think, oh, how come she's losing now? What's wrong with her?" You know, because they don't follow tennis all, all the time. And um, but I, ju- I just find her so interesting. I find her her approach to it all so interesting. And I know her. It's not just her. Her her, her father's involved in the decisions over coaches and all that sort of thing. Is what I understand. Um, but I just find Radicana's general approach to tennis is she's a bit of a disruptor to what's convention, and the the assumption is that there's something wrong with that from the establishment. I think I've even been contacted by a couple of coaches over the last week saying she's changing coaches too many times, and and they don't like they don't like this stuff. And I understand why. I mean, f- uh, from a coach's perspective. It's a bit of a difficult gig to take, really, because there's no real long-term prospects in it. If you want a job, you're probably going to be out of it in, in a few months' time, the way it's approached. But from her perspective, she seems to be laying down a, a a kind of platform that she doesn't need, what everybody thinks you need in your tennis careers. she She seems to be able to work it out herself in her own way i mean and i say well good good luck to you if you can if you can do it go do it there's no there's no rule that says you have to have a coach and you have to employ them all the time yes maybe you need to be upfront with them about that but it's up to these people whether they take the jobs
3: yeah, I think I think that's very well said. I'm 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 going to be honest. When you, I think I I think I found out the news from you, David, by WhatsApp that Emirat Khan had had split with Torben Belts, and my my reaction immediately was
4: probably a negative one. It, it was probably like, oh, Sa- same here. I I like Torben Belts. I don't know him personally, but I like the way he comes across. They just had good results. Like, and a bit like with Andrew Richardson, you do end up thinking, well, why would you why would you ditch him? What's wrong? But I end up coming around. Yeah, exactly. And I think the reason it's a negative one is, as you
3: said, it, it, it's a new partnership. Torben Belts has got a has got an impressive record as a coach. You felt like there was quite a good relationship there. It felt like things were starting to come together. Maybe it needs some time. And also the other reason I, I, I perhaps felt that way is exactly as you said, David, because that's the convention. You know, it's the convention for players to have a coach and stick with them. All of that, you know, that is what tennis players, most tennis players do. But just as you pointed out, Emerita Canu has not done anything the conventional route. You know, she's, you know, she won the US Open before she'd played a professional match on clay. This is This is not someone who necessarily needs to do things just because that's the way things are done. And I think the more I think about it, I think she needs a some kind of support system in place around her so that being on the tour is, you know, a nice place to be and somewhere that she can enjoy and all of that. But does she necessarily need a coach? Not necessarily you know, she she's spoken about wanting sparring partners, hasn't she? And what an interesting line that was.
4: You know, I, I'm I'm concentrating on my sparring.
3: Yeah, because I never heard that before. No, because she said she wants to get used to the speed of the ball a lot more on the WTA tour, mm. and and it sounds like she's identified that as a problem rather than necessarily her sort of tactical approach to a match which seems to be spot on already we've seen examples of that in her career of how flexible and adaptable she is on court and it sounds like even with Torben Belts Raducanu herself was putting together a lot of the tactical plans um and honestly this match she played today against Kostiuk I think's the best she's played since the U.S. Open. It felt the most U.S. Open-like, where, just as you said, right from the first ball, it was clear she was playing well. And, you know, if we go back to the U.S. Open, that was such a trademark. She won all those matches pretty easily. She started matches well, and this is the best I've ever seen her hit her forehand today, and I would say even better than at the U.S. Open. It it wasn't the forehand which stood out. It wasn't the forehand which stood out then. It was a lot of other things. But today, she was just bossing points with it and i think that little bit of extra time on the ball that actually helps her she's embracing the clay her mindset's good her movement's good and yeah there's a there's a kind of joy about her and she was signing all the autographs like she was at the u.s open after the match and yeah it just in her words she was vibing and she vibed her way to the u.s open title
4: i mean i wish i knew what that meant (laughs) but um I'm, i'm way too old to know uh um, more than twice her age, I'm sure it means something. No, I mean basically, it means yeah, I, do, I I do like that. She's uh, she's just feeling away and doing it her way. So good for her. She's she's got Angelina Helena next, who beat Garbini Muguruza. I, I don't think I've. I'm not sure I've watched an, a full match of Kalanina. Have you? I saw her
3: today against Muguruza, and she also beat Sloan Stevens and. A Couple of weeks ago, she beat Rubatkiner in, in Charleston. She had a lot of big wins recently. Blimey. She, I think she won. A, I think she won a title last year, Budapest. Maybe um, she won. She won a lot of matches in the last fifty-two weeks. She's, she's a solid player, but you know, and, and look, and, and we should say about a It's obviously you know in the same way we wouldn't judge a relationship with Torben Belts after two matches. You know, we probably shouldn't judge this sort of new route she's taking after two yeah. matches either you know it, this needs time as well as an approach but it's a great it's a great start and i think it it just proves that she doesn't necessarily have to do things the way we would expect her to do things she's she's carving out her own route, and and i like that
4: how much would you judge naomi osaka on clay at this point she won her first round against anastasia potopova and Seemed pretty happy with that performance. She won it comfortably. Lost today against Sarah Sariba's Tormo. Now, I know Osaka seemed to be struggling a little bit physically at the end of the match, but that didn't feel like it told a story of it to me. I haven't heard a press comment, so I don't know whether she's elaborated on, on whether there was a serious problem. But the main problem seemed to be her opponent and the court to me. And she she doesn't slide she does these little stutter steps into balls and then hits the living daylights out of it like she does on hard court and sometimes she hits spectacular winners but my word does she hit a lot of errors and the ball was just coming looping down the middle of the court most of the time and then she would miss yeah she
3: she had some strapping on her leg she said she had a little achilles problem but again she said that wasn't the reason for the defeat um how do I judge Osaka on clay? I think, I think we've seen the problem against Saras Rivas Tormo today, as as you've outlined, because in in the first match she beat Potapova, f- who is also a big hitter, and it wasn't really like a clay court match. It was just you know it was just two players hitting big ground strokes and. Osaka was better at it and and she'd incorporated a couple of little things she she noted that she was running around her backhand return to hit forehands on the ad side which she said she's watched Nadal do on clay and all good clay quarters and she's trying to bring that into her game I think I think there is a willingness to improve on the clay and I think she knows that the clay falling as it does in the middle of the season sort of every year it kind of disrupts her year because she gets going on a hard court then she has these surfaces she's not so good at and then she has to build it back up again on a hard court you know ideally she would like to be smoother throughout the season I think and so that was fine in the first match against Potapova and I actually thought the Madrid conditions the altitude might suit her because we've seen big hitters win win Madrid before but Sribes Tormo was just a complete nightmare for her today, mixing up the spins, mixing up the pace, mixing up the ball trajectory, moving Osaka about. And as you said, she gets she gets in position with these steps and doesn't get in position, basically, and then still tries to hit hit huge winners and ends up mainly overhitting and missing by big, big margins. And it. It doesn't look like that's a problem that's easily solved. You know, we've seen Asaka play that way on clay throughout her career, really. She she's not a clay courter, and it's gonna take time. And, you know, if you keep if you keep running into someone like Saras Rivas Tormo, who's gutsy and who is, you know, knows her way around a tennis court, let alone a clay court, you're not gonna get that time because you're gonna gonna lose at the moment in the way her game is compared to someone like Sribez Tormo on this surface. So mm. I think I think we've not you know, we're kind of in the same place as we were, really, in about twenty nineteen with Osaka on clay. She'll beat certain players, but as soon as she comes up against someone who knows a little bit more on the surface,
4: I'm not I'm not backing her. No, and if and if it's not happening on this one, I, mm. I kind of feel less confident about her prospects in Rome, for instance.
3: Yeah, I think so. But I, as I said, I think I think she's trying, and and I do like, I like that. that. I really like that. She's not just writing it, it off.
4: It's, I'm sure it's an oversimplification, but I, if I were her, I'd be giving Maria Sharapova a call and, and asking how she figured it out, because nobody looked less mm. comfortable on a clay court than Sharapova early on, and she won the thing twice. And just learned how to slide. I think she, I think Maria Carrillo told us that she had a sort of sliding board that she would use mm. in in the gym, you know, to teach her how to do it. Um, which, is, which is just fascinating and I'm sure something that my son would love to have a go at. Because <laughs> he loves sliding on his knees to do fake celebrations of goals. Anyway. Um, so... Um, Osaka beaten and uh, but the even with all the losses of players it's still bubbling up very nicely the, the women's draw uh, the men's draw is just getting up, getting going really I mean Catherine's told you that the main matches that we saw today should also mention that uh, Andy Murray's drawn Dominic team which so- suddenly feels like a, a really nostalgic <laughs> match it does doesn't it is that is that a good draw for both players. Could you make that case? Oh, I would say it's a good draw for Murray, Okay, personally. Because teams... I just think he's the sort of player who's going to be rusty for quite a while, Is is my feeling. And then suddenly it'll click into gear and then watch out everybody. <laughs> Yes, um, I hope that's the But then the I case. suppose Murray's bit, you know, he wasn't even meant to be playing on clay, was he, Murray's? <laughs> exactly, and he's he's not had many wins this season,
3: and he wasn't he wasn't planning on playing on clay. I mean, when, when was Murray's last match on clay?
4: Uh, you know, it's been a while. It's, Who are you picking? Who are you picking? It's tomorrow night as we speak to you right now. Who are you going for, Murray or team? I think I'm probably picking Murray. Yeah, um, me too. It's a nice hospital pass from me, that, isn't it? <laughs>
3: But purely because team, as you said, looks looks very very rusty. Still, his forehand looks yeah. looks way off where it where it could you know hopefully can still get to. Hmm.
4: This uh, this draw has thrown up some absolute belters. In the same half, you've got Rafael Nadal, Carlos Alcaraz, and Novak Djokovic. <laughs> <Madness>. <laughs> I couldn't believe that it it. it, it it had kind of slipped my attention that Nadal is seeded three, and it's actually Zverev at the bottom of the draw, isn't it? So that is an intriguing element to all this, that Nadal could end up in a bit of the draw of of these tournaments that is not somebody you want to be playing before the final, (laughs) (laughs) or at all, really, but, you know. Yes, I mean, I do remember
3: a couple of weeks ago getting very, very excited about the prospect of Alcaraz, Djokovic in Monte Carlo, and neither of them managed to win their first match in the tournament. And oh yeah, I'm doing it again. But I can't not get excited by that draw. You know the the why shouldn't we? Exact, quite. I mean, I'm I'm not going to apologise for getting excited about something. Um, I think Nadal gave some interesting quotes today in his press conference, his pre-tournament press conference, saying he's completely recovered from the injury that he had and actually good. and actually, it was a more sort of mentally easier injury to accept, I think, than what he's had to deal with recently with his foot because he just knew it was a few weeks on the sidelines and then he'd be fine. But the problem is he wasn't able to train at all when he had the injury and he said it was even difficult to sleep, you know, because it was causing him pain, those those cracked ribs. So it sounds like his he hasn't actually been playing tennis for that long I think only a couple of weeks and the first few days of that were very very light so I'm interested to see Nadal this week because the last few clay court seasons he's had he's built up you know and that's with decent fitness he's built up and looked good by the you know middle portion of the French Open and of course he won the French Open in 2020 Um, but it's not just been like the like the Nadal of old that got on the clay and just started winning everything straight away so I probably wouldn't be picking Nadal for this tournament in Madrid. And I think his first match could even be Ketsmanovic, which would be very tough, someone in, in great form. And he doesn't, he doesn't tend to love the conditions in Madrid anyway. But he probably, he probably needs some matches because, you know, it's only Madrid and Rome before the French Open. So if he, he probably wants to get a couple of matches under his belt, at least I would have thought. But, you know, Alcaraz and Djokovic in there as well. It, yeah, it's, it's an amazing section of the draw
4: yeah uh, let's hope some of these matches come off um we will have another show on well wednesday or thursday not exactly sure when yet um but we'll bring you up to date with where we are in the drawer and have, have a good old chat maybe Catherine will be able to join us if not it'll be uh, another voice note from her uh, but yes we'll be talking madrid again later in the week
2: Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code Pod 20 for 20% off your annual subscription.
4: Now, there have been other tournaments going on over the past uh, week. And th- I do find this all a bit confusing. When-, when Madrid started with the women on Thursday and Estoril was only halfway through. <laughs> I was getting very confused as I was trying to watch these matches, but I actually really enjoyed Estoril uh, the, the the tournament great there, tournament. particularly the run of. I mean, I've I've been to it. Uh, I think it used to be held in a different location when I went there some twenty odd years ago. But lovely tournament, great organisers. Really, it's it's one of those tournaments that that punches above its weight. Mm. It, it's got people working for it. They're very ambitious. They really want to make it something special. They're really take huge pride in it and um and they had a good field i mean you know it's they had some good players there and um the the match that francis tiafo played against seb corda a couple of nights ago was just electric because corda played throughout the week out of out of his mind well i mean he he thrashed felix ogeli or i saw and then he took that form in against tiafo and I I'm embarrassed to say I I switched it off halfway through the second set because it was so one sided. And then Tiafo came back and won. And he went all the way to the final. Oh
3: David, you missed the you missed what Tiafo was about this week, which was these these oh. these improbable comebacks. I mean th- honestly that that wasn't the only time he was in a in a losing position. He was he was a set and two love down in the first round against Lajovic. He was Oh, really? He was 5-2 down in the third set against Davidovich for Kina. And then, of course, he was a set and 5-2, three match points down against Corda, And every time I thought he was going to lose and every time he just kept coming back. And he seemed to really enjoy the atmosphere. I, th- I think he actually gave a quote in the week that it that he wished he receives that level of support in America. He feels like he's kind of better supported over here and he's such a star when he's playing like that the the shot making the charisma i think i think there were a couple of quotes he gave one during a match he said oh i need a cold beer after this he just said out loud and and he said (laughs) and and he said at one point i need to go to the supermarket and buy some new legs you know he he just just gave these amazing (laughs) quotes and yet all the time he's backing up he's backing that up with real effort and real desire to win, and it's just such a such a great combination. He, he played such high quality tennis. I thought he was he was a player I most enjoyed watching this week. Really, uh, he, he was fantastic. And look, he didn't have anything left in the final to get today against against Sebastian Baez, who's won his first career title. Um, and it was it was a bit of a non final, really, because of that. But yeah, it, it was a, a special week from Francis Tiaffa.
4: Who is Sebastian Bias? I don't think I could pick him out in a lineup. I'm sorry to say, um, but I want to know more.
3: Yeah, well he he made the next gen finals last year, and I think at the time we were all a bit like, yeah, who is Sebastian Bias? Pretty much. Um, Let's have that conversation again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure any of any of us had seen him. Certainly on a hardcore, you know, he'd, he'd done a lot of winning on clay. Um, started this year, he played Sitsapas at the Australian Open, and they split the first two sets, both in tiebreaks, and he was brilliant. You know, on a surface favoring Sitsa Pass. he was really holding his own. Um, and then I watched him in Davis Cup a few weeks ago, and he played on the same court. He made his he made his Davis Cup debut on the same court where Juan Martín Del Potro had just retired a few a few days earlier, really, and it was like this. Kind of like this symbolic moment for Argentinian tennis, you know, old guard, new guard kind of thing in the same space. And look, he's not like Del Potro at all. He's about he's about thirty centimeters shorter. I would have thought than Del Potro. He's, he's much more like Diego Schwartzman style Argentinian tennis, um, much more in that mold. He's got he's got really quick footwork. He's got quite a big forehand. Um, he likes a drop shot, and he's just he's just a very good. Clay quarter I mean, he's. I think he can get better on a hard court, but already he's good on clay. Um, he's up into the top fifty now. He beat three former champions to win the title. You know, that's quite a run for a for a title at two fifty level. And there, he had this cool thing going throughout the whole week, where after every win, he was writing "Why not me?" on the camera lens, and then finally today, after he won, he he was able to write "Yes, it's me." And uh, yeah it's just Aww. just a great little sort of story to follow throughout the week,,
4: and I think that was inspired by the man he beat in the final, Francis Tiafo, I think he you mentioned that 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 was yes, the idea that right come through him, wasn't it
3: yeah, I think basically he'd heard Tiafo say that and sort of adopted it, and um yeah, i think I think winning your first title with Francis Tiafo being the player you beat in the final. is is quite a good thing because I think is going to be really happy for you and I think there were scenes of there were scenes of Tiafoe you know spraying spraying Bias in in Champagne and all that and sort of appreciating that moment for him for what it was it was yeah
4: it was was good scenes that's great to hear another good tournament held in Munich as well Um, that's a, a tournament I've I went. I don't think I went to it when it was on, but I went to it in its prepar- preparatory stages, weeks before, many, many years ago, about twenty years ago. And it was when the tournament director was um, the late Rudy Berger, who was uh, one of the great chair umpires of of the eighties and nineties, and um, and uh, very sadly passed away more than ten years ago now. But uh, he he took me on a tour of Munich and 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 all their plans and and what, a, what an impressive venue it was and and again these tournaments that just want to punch above their weight and I think you saw from Sebastian Bayers how much it meant to him when he won mm. that title and 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 I love seeing that the, these tournaments that it's such a big deal to win that 250 tournament where maybe for a, a big name it might not mean quite so much as it did for him um Sad that there weren't quite such joyous scenes in the final in Munich because it ended with a retirement after a player who'd performed brilliantly all week and I'm going to say it as well as I possibly can, not up to Catherine standards, but Botik van der Zanschelp had uh, been forced to retire through breathing problems 4-3 down in the first set. I think you've been working on that, David. I, that is, That is pretty spot on, I think. Robotic van der Yeah. Okay,
3: that was a bit and, theatrical.
4: Uh, okay. Oh, I like the theatrical <laughs> bit. That's my favourite part about it, having a go at that. Um, anyway, uh, he was beaten in the final by a man whose name we have been playing over and over on the ATP app ahead of this recording because we're desperate to get it right. And I thought we'd nailed it, uh, Holger Rune. Um, but it turns out that holger ruuner doesn't pronounce the r so it's apparently holger una which has really caused me some some problems um, so we're going to go with holger una
3: <laughs> yes and, <laughs> um, and calling any danish listeners and if anyone can help us with that and confirm that it is una that would be great
4: yeah that that would be most appreciated. And, and, and I and I actually love the fact that on the ATP side he he says his entire name, which is Holger Vitus Nodskov Una. And he beat Bottik van der uh, in the first set when uh, poor old van der Zanthoop um retired with breathing problems. Um so and and he'd beaten earlier in the week um Kasper Rude, which had annoyed Catherine immensely because she'd picked Kasper Rude to win the title in our newsletter, which you can sign up to so that if you want to find out what results aren't going to happen, <laughs> you'll be able to do that because we've predicted them. And uh, then he went and beat my pick for the title, which is Miramir Katsmanovic. So thanks a lot, Butik. Um, who did you pick, Matt, this week? Uh,
3: someone else who didn't win the title. Who did I pick? Uh, Davidovich Fakina. In Esteril.
4: Ah, thought right. I thought I was so onto a good
3: rubbish. thing there, but, yeah. but
4: no. Well, anyway, well done to Holger Una, because I mean that's a good title win for him, isn't it? I mean he's still a teenager and uh, just nineteen years of age from uh, from Denmark, and you know he's he, he he's somebody that we seem to have spoken most about, sort of playing some nice flashy tennis and 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 maybe having a good set against. Whoever it was, maybe Novak Djokovic at the at the uh, US Open last year. Can't exactly remember. And then cramping horribly and having to retire. He seems to have a real problem with that. But you know, this is a this is a big moment. Yeah, it is his first ATP title. Didn't drop a set all week. He absolutely
3: thrashed Alexander Zverev um, very early on in that tournament. Really, just outmaneuvering him. Really, drop shotting him all over the court. Uh, he's he's certainly been a a guy who's whose name i think we've heard for a while you know he's a very good junior he he was sort of one of the best of his age group but yeah he's he's had these cramping problems um his social media is slightly irritating it's all a little bit sort of overinflated ego uh for a guy who hasn't done a lot yet um but you know fair play to him because he's he's won this title really really impressively and he he definitely didn't benefit from the frozen ranking system over the last couple of years. I think he would be higher in the rankings um, had the sort of system been more normal over the last few years. But he's he's up he's up into the top uh, sixty now, and I think we're going to be seeing more of him because yes, yeah, it's, a, it's a flashy game as you say, but when he when he puts it together,
4: I think it's, it's a pretty dangerous game as well. So that's the tennis for this week and the the really big story though has been that of the news that Boris Becker has been sentenced to two and a half years for his failure to correctly follow the rules of his bankruptcy and he'd been found guilty of moving money around, hiding money basically, so that he didn't have to pay off all of his creditors as part of the bankruptcy and um He has been jailed for at least half of that two and a half years. The other half of it will be on license and uh, will be served in the community. But uh, Boris Becker is currently in prison. And I don't sympathize with him because he's done wrong. But it's it's very sad, I, I, I feel, and... That that his life has come to this point. What, what was your your reaction upon hearing that news, Matt?
3: Yeah, I mean you've said it there. Um, he he he's he's done a lot wrong. He deserves this, but it's it's sad that it's come to this. You know, such a such a legend um, in the sport. Someone who was so well liked for a long long time, especially in this country. Um, but it's, it's been a long time coming, really, hasn't it? Um, he's you know, he's had financial problems for a long, long time, and it's it's caught up with him now. And um, you'll be able to speak on this in much more detail than I can, but you know, it seems like he lived his life, you know, a bit like the 17 year old who won Wimbledon and thought he was indestructible, and and he wasn't.
4: Mm. I, I think that's right. And um, I mean, the the judge in at the court said that he'd been humiliated but he'd handled the entire case without humility and and I think that that is probably the problem here is that throughout this whole entire process and period of his life since retiring from tennis which is more than 20 years ago that he retired from tennis he feels like he's just carried on living like a world number one like somebody who's still top of the world rankings with all that money pouring in from endorsements. I mean, he, he earned more than $25 million in prize money on court alone. You can double that, triple that for all the endorsements he had. I mean, he it's it's hard to overstate how famous he was in the mid-80s when he won that Wimbledon. He reached six Wimbledon finals in seven years, and he wasn't ever present in our consciousness here in the UK because we only had four TV channels and he dominated two of them for a couple of weeks every single summer and the way he came on the scene in 85 and he was diving all over center court he was knocking out established names winning wimbledon out of the blue and as a 17 year old and you know i can't help but feel sad to know that 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 person is now in jail and it's it's his own fault I'm not saying it's not I don't I don't I'm not making any excuses for him other than that degree of fame at that age I think probably damaged him or at least stunted his development and ability to handle uh, everything that ended up coming his way thereafter I don't I don't know how I would have been able to handle life um, with that degree of attention all the time. I mean, to to give you just uh, a couple of examples, I always remember in, hearing that in Germany, if you showed anybody in the country that did a study, they reckoned that if you showed somebody the picture of Boris Becker, they would know who he was. You know, there was nobody in the country who didn't know who he was, and... um I can't say I, I was never close to him, I, I I encountered him a lot over the last 25 years, um, but never found him particularly warm to, to people like me in the media or working behind the scenes, but then he could be also incredibly charming out of the blue and you could see his charisma and you could see what he meant to people and he just owned a room, he owned the court and he was more, I think a lot there's a lot more affection for him and a lot more of a mark that he left on the game in terms of impact than people who won a lot more than he did. Um, He proved himself to be a a really good coach, I think you'd have to say. Over the three years, he was with Novak Djokovic. So maybe there's something he can come back to when he finally comes out of prison. But, you know, it's it's hard to believe, really, that, that he's got himself in this degree of a mess because it's not just... The fame and 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 those sort of things because many others have, have managed it um and you also have to well you have to feel for the people that he let down along the way here and he owed money to. but it's it's really hard to 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 fathom that boris becker is in a jail cell right now um the other thing that's happened over the past week is wimbledon's annual spring press conference um which was inevitably dominated by Wimbledon's decision to ban uh, Russian and Belarusian athletes which was uh, discussed on the tennis podcast last week and uh, Wimbledon um, explained that it was the government's decision that they were following they were following that sort of lead and advice um, that they recommended and wanted events of that magnitude to to follow that course of action Uh, and since then Novak Djokovic and in fact before then as well Novak Djokovic immediately came out and said that he didn't agree with the ban at all. Um, Rafael Nadal has done the same today and that does seem to be a theme I would say Matt generally speaking is most of the players they don't like this. And that goes along with what the tours have said. Um, they don't believe that Wimbledon should have done this. Um, obviously, we we were tangled up last week trying to figure out where we stood on it because, it, to me, the only the only place I feel most comfortable being is in knowing that I really don't know what should be done. I, I know. I mean, I've said that I think, on balance, I. I think Wimbledon have done the right thing, but the only feel, thing I feel comfortable saying is that it's an impossible situation in pretty much every way.
3: Yeah, agreed. And I think it's in Madrid this week, if if I'm not mistaken, where the tours are meeting. I believe to talk about it and maybe to come up with some action. So obviously, it's it's a topic which is going to go is going to stay very. Very much at the at the forefront of conversation, I think, in tennis between now and Wimbledon, and we'll see if any you know anything comes from that this week. But yeah, a lot of players have have spoken out against it, and we obviously did a big deep dive on it on it last week. And yeah, I think that's the conclusion. Really, it's it's in, it's in pretty much impossible to fall down one way or the other. Really, I feel still very, very
4: torn on it. Mm. We've had a lot of. Correspondence over the last week. A lot of people disagreeing with things we've said. Other people agreeing, and and I think that that's just inevitable, really. But uh, we thank you for your for your 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 correspondence. So uh, that's the end of today's show. We have a mascot for the week. Who have we got, Matt? We have the lovely Cooper. Uh, Cooper. Oh. Cooper is a six year old
3: pug mix owned by. Oh, Cooper's lovely. Owned by Liz. Cooper is lovely. We're looking at a picture of Cooper, his tongue sticking out, loving life. And I love this story that Cooper. We better send this to Catherine Sharpish. Yes. Cooper is named after the restaurant where Liz and her husband had their first date, which I think is lovely. Oh. I, love a, I love a story behind the name and yeah absolutely cooper, cooper's uh, got a great
4: well, one cooper thank you for being our mascot and uh thank you to liz for signing up as a friend of the tennis podcast at the mascot level and if you want to be a friend of the tennis podcast yourself not only does it help us produce the show year round and do and all the the things that we we've got planned i'm telling you we've got a lot planned uh, it's coming your way soon um but you also get access to Additional podcasts. There are nine currently brand new... Uh, this year, exclusive for Friends of the Tennis Podcast, available things like the Juan Martín Del Potro story, the Lee Na story, uh, my first Wimbledon, my first Australian Open. We've got listener questions uh, and answer shows that Matt, Catherine and myself have, have all done. Um, so those are available to you if you sign up as a Friend of the Tennis Podcast. You can also introduce a show. You can also get a shout-out. We're going to have shout-outs in a minute. Um, we've got mascots ourselves. We've got Darwin for myself. Hello, Darwin. We've got Carter for Catherine. We've got Gerald the Cat, um, who's sponsoring Matt. Billie Jean King is sponsoring Billie Jean the Dog um, alongside Alana Kloss. So thank you to Billie Jean and Alana. Um, Chris Albert-Lee and Carl Weingartner are our top blokes and executive producers. And who are our shout-outs, Matt? We have Fiona Hanstock in Gloucestershire. All right, Fiona, Gloucestershire, that's just down the road, road from me. It Not is, too far, isn't it? Right. And
3: Fiona was introduced to the podcast by her son a few years ago, which I think is very nice. Hey. And she's a big fan of Tennis Relived, especially.
4: Oh, I love that. I love it when listeners introduce other listeners for the future. Yes. Pass it on. Me too. That That is lit- so do it. literally following
3: your advice, David. It is indeed. <laughs> <laughs> We
4: also have Darren Robertson from Sydney. All right, Darren. I've been reading about Sydney this week, Matt, in uh, in my book by Bill Bryson, all about um, Australia. All oh, Down Under. Yeah.
3: Great it's book. A cracking book. Yes. Loving it. Are you going through all the Bill Brysons?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it is, it's my, my way of uh, separating myself from my telephone. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Oh yeah, uh, is it, it's amazing when you find a, a book as part of a massive series of other books, and you're like, "Oh crikey, I got all this lot yes, to look forward to!"
3: Absolutely, I've I've done the Bill Bryson marathon. It's it's it's, it's a great place to be in. Uh, and finally, today we have Barclay Hughes from St.
4: Louis, Missouri. Oh wow! I don't know why that's just... uh, What a great name Barclay's got for a start. And uh, I don't know, every time I hear these different places around the world, Gloucester, Sydney, (laughs) and now St. Louis in Missouri. How cool is this show? It's global. And Barclay's written us a really lovely
3: note, which I won't read out in full. uh, But Barclay, we've read it, and thank you very much. And basically the gist is that he's a long-time tennis fan but doesn't have friends or family who you know share his love for tennis so discovering the podcast and a conversation about tennis has has been big for him so love to hear that thank you Barclay
4: Oh, thank you, Barclay. Well, we love having you with us. We love having you as our friend. And uh, if you want to shout out as well, uh, you can get one still um, by becoming a friend of the Tennis Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to those of you that are friends of the pod. And by the way, um, you might want to get yourself on our newsletter recipient list this week if you're not already, because we're about to announce uh, a bit of news that's going to lead to prizes. <laughs> so there's Ooh, a little teaser are we great yeah are.
3: Well, you didn't know that did you i didn't know we were about to announce it i think i know what the news <laughs> is but i will be checking as soon as we hit stop oh excellent
4: all right okay so uh, there's my teaser we will be back again in a few days in another tennis podcast we'll be hearing from Catherine. and uh yeah thanks for joining us today we'll speak to you soon